Welcome to the Future of Agriculture podcast, the show that explores the people, companies, and ideas that are shaping the future of agribusiness. Innovation, resourcefulness, and collaboration are essential for feeding a growing population, and we believe the agriculture industry is up for the challenge. Please welcome your host, Tim Hammerich. Howdy. Thank you so much for downloading. Glad to be with you on the Future of Agriculture podcast. My name is Tim Hammerich. I'm an agribusiness recruiter and the founder of AgGrad.com that connects students and young professionals to hiring agribusinesses. Well, if you're subscribed to the Future of Agriculture podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any of the other podcast catchers out there, I hope you sure I sure hope you are, because you will be listening to this on March 1st. 2017. If you are, that means tomorrow, March 2nd, 2017, will be the launch of the Farm and Rural Ag Network. It's a collaboration between myself, Wendell Shum of the Ontario AgCast, and Rob Sharkey of the Shark Farmer Podcast. It's a brand new ag podcasting network. Our plan is to curate the very best ag podcast content for you, and you can have it all in one place. So please go subscribe as of March 2nd, 2017 to the Farm and Rural Ag Network. You can find out more at farmruralag.com. Thank you so much again for being with us. And nothing will change for those of you who just want to listen to the Future of Agriculture podcast. Nothing will change on our end. We'll continue to bring the very best people, perspectives, and ideas shaping the future of our industry every single week. And I'm really glad you're with us. Speaking of the, the people, companies, and ideas shaping the future of our industry, we have a quintessential guest today that really embodies what this show is all about. Louisa Burwood-Taylor of AgFunder, or you might know it as AgFunder News, is on the podcast today. For those of you who've been listening a while, you'll remember that in December, I did a brief teaser that she would be on the show. Uh, she ended up becoming ill and then had some scheduling conflicts, and we finally got this podcast episode recorded like three months later. But very glad Louisa is on the show today. Uh, a couple things I want to talk about. This, this episode is going going to be ripe with entrepreneurial advice and insights, technology um, stories, and, and we talk about things. One term I want to define for you first and foremost is the term unicorn. When we throw around the term unicorn, we don't mean a horse with a horn on it. We mean a company, a startup company that ends up being sold for a billion dollars. The, the term comes from Silicon Valley. It's kind of what all the venture capitalists want. They want that one rare company that they can end up turning around for at least a billion dollars. And uh, there's one that I know of, uh, the Climate Corp, which we'll mention in this interview here today that was sold to Monsanto. And as Luisa will tell us, that's kind of what started it all in in the ag tech boom, or, or one of the big catalysts, at least. So really enjoyed this interview with Luisa. I think you will, too. Enjoy my interview with the head of media at AgFunder, Luisa Burwood-Taylor. Really excited to have Luisa Burwood-Taylor from AgFunder on the podcast today. She is the head of media. Luisa, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. So... Lisa, what is it for you that, that about ag tech that makes it more interesting than just other aspects of technology? Uh, well, I can't say I've ever covered any other technology sectors before. I'm a financial journalist by background, so I've covered other financial markets. And agriculture and food is by far the most exciting and also clearly 
the most relevant. And so um, one of the things that I love about it is I could speak to my friends about my work <laughs> um, and get them excited in some of the new technologies and innovations coming down the pipe. When I was writing about structured bonds and the equity markets, their faces would glaze over and they looked terribly bored. Um, so that was one thing that's, that's great for me in terms of this as, as a career, is it something I could take home and enjoy talking about with um, friends and family. But on a more serious note, you know, um, in many ways, agriculture has been left behind in terms of innovation and technology. Uh, McKinsey, the consulting group, says it's the least digitized industry in the world, which for an industry that's essential to all of our lives, that's pretty alarming. Um, so there's a huge amount to do. There's a huge amount of potential to make agriculture more sustainable, to grow more food, to grow better food, um, to grow more nutritious food. And it's incredibly diverse. So no two days are the same for me. The different technologies and innovations I'm covering from farm to fork um, are so different. And I speak to some very inspiring entrepreneurs and some very enlightened investors, I think, um, so so it's incredibly exciting. Luis, I can't pick out in your accent which part of Texas you're from. So wh wh <laughs> where are you from and how did you go from uh, finance into ag tech? From London, Texas. No, I'm from uh, <laughs> London, <laughs> London in the UK. And um, I actually lived out in Asia for a while, which is where I was covering um, equity capital markets um, in Hong Kong, across Asia. And then I moved into looking at um, investment and institutional investment. So where all the large pension funds and insurance companies of Asia were putting their money. And and then I've had um, enough of Hong Kong after three years. I don't know if you've been there, but it's um, a crazy place. It's very fun, <laughs> but three years was definitely enough. And so I moved back to England and I knew this um, company called PEI Media, which focuses on the private investment markets. And they were looking at some niche areas um, that investors were starting to be interested in investing in. And agriculture was one of them. I think, you know, you'd had the global financial crisis and investors were looking for something more real and tangible to invest in. And so farmland and agribusiness and related to, you know, everyday essentials as food um, became appealing and was picking up increasing investor interest. So I helped them to launch a title called Agri-Investor, which um, covered investments across the agricultural value chain, you know, to farmland and agribusiness. And, and ag technology was a very small part of that. And this was back in 2013, um, when investment into agriculture technology was about $500 million. Um, and then I was there for a couple of years and knew Rob Leclerc, who's the CEO of AgFunder, because he'd launched AgFunder at a similar time that I launched AgriInvestor. And then I just watched as ag tech became this, you know, booming industry, relatively speaking, um, and investment went to 4.6 billion in 2015. So, I mean, that was huge, huge exponential growth. And so about nearly two years ago now, um, Rob approached me and said, hey, would you come and, and lead up our new service at, at AgFunder, where he'd done a great job of, of reporting on all the different investors and startups that were in the ag tech space. And he was noticing real demand for that news. You know, there's very little in the way of dedicated news on the topic. And so, um, yeah, I joined nearly two years ago now. 
That's fantastic. And you're being modest by not including the fact that you all are very clearly the authority and the source for all things <laughs> ag tech and, and modern agriculture. But you mentioned kind of how ag tech's become sort of a, a boom. What, as you've covered it, have you noticed has been kind of the catalyst to go from it's starting to create some buzz to actually, you know, $4.6 billion? Um, what caused the boom? Right. I mean, I think there are a couple of factors, but one of the big things that everyone always references, and I do think it did make entrepreneurs and investors stand up and sort of look at the space, was when um, Monsanto acquired a company called the Climate Corporation for $1 billion. And that was uh, towards the end of 2013. So that was, you know, AgTech's first unicorn um, and, you know, people look at where, where they can make some money. So that was really the first thing I think where people suddenly thought, OK, look at this place. No one's been paying attention to this sector that's desperately in need of new innovation. Um, and so I think you started to see entrepreneurs become interest, interested there. However, that's that. So that's the one side of things that if you look at on the consumer side, I think um Consumer preferences are changing dramatically all the time and very, very quickly. And one of the um, things that consumers want these days is food on demand. I don't know about you, but I do a lot of my food shopping online now. And I want to be able to order my groceries online and get them within a few hours, preferably. And so another part of that big boom in 2015 was food e-commerce, so food delivery. So how the food gets from the farm to the consumer's front door to their plates. And I think those consumer preferences have really accelerated um, from 2013 onwards, and that contributed to the boom as well. Louisa, ag tech is such a all-encompassing term. Anything involved in food and agriculture and technology, everything from gene editing, you mentioned Climate Corp, which is data collection for farms, to food delivery, to plant-based meats. How do you decide what to cover and in, in kind of what are the happening trends within ag tech? I mean, those are all happening trends. So it can be very challenging choosing what to cover, um, particularly if you have limited resources and writers. Uh, we try to you know, really focus on, on covering the big um, and interesting funding deals that happen. So uncovering who the investors are in the space um, and looking at new innovations. So if there's technologies where, you know, someone's doing something completely novel that no one else is doing, we do like to try and uncover those. Um, but it is very difficult <laughs> to, to know exactly what to cover and what not to. Um, we try to do as much as we can, but we can't always always get everything. Now, being from a, a economics, finance, business background, how has it been to learn the science behind all this stuff? Because that's something I struggle with is, you know, I, I would love to have a, a great handle over the science of all this stuff, but I, I'm more business minded myself. How have you dealt with that? Right. No, I mean, yeah, it, that, that's one of the things I actually I love about about love about this job is that I'm constantly learning. And I do feel like I'm very much at the beginning of my education in agriculture and bioscience, life sciences and biotech. Um, so I just have to have some very patient sources when I'm interviewing people. You know, I say, forgive me for any ignorance on this. Please, can we speak through this? Um, and I just really revel in the opportunity to be learning um, more about the science side. So um, it's tough. And, you know, one day I sort of fantasize about the idea of maybe being able to go and do an agronomy course or, you know, a short degree or something like that. But at the moment, I just rely on very friendly people in the industry. And they are generally very, very friendly and, and, and willing to help. 
Right. Talking about those people, I know you just you probably talk a lot with startup founders. And Mm. in general, the startup founders in ag tech, are they people coming from farms? Are they people who got interested in agriculture, starting with the consumer side? Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's actually probably more that they have come from the technology side. So maybe they would um, just thinking of something off the top of my head come from the satellite business, you know, looking at satellite imagery for other industries. And maybe then they've seen, oh, there's a potential to do that um, in agriculture or they're in life sciences and been working, looking at um, medicinal pharmaceutical technologies and then seeing the potential application in agriculture. So I think you're more likely to see people coming from a range of different industries, but it's focused on the technology type. Um, even, so if we think about there's a company called Memphis Meats and they're doing cultured meat and the founder, if I hope I've got this right, but I think he was a heart surgeon and he was looking at the ability for the uh, for heart cells to replicate themselves or something along those lines. And then now he's gone into the food industry. So <laughs> that's a completely different path than anyone else. But I think it's, it is definitely you've got to think about what are their expertise technology wise. And the cultured meats, that's where they're they're creating what's something something that's very much like meat in a lab, basically. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're literally trying to replicate meat on a molecular level. They're trying to grow it and culture it in the lab. And you lost me already. <laughs> but I mean, it's, that is, it's fascinating stuff. And actually in the recruiting business, one thing that I'm always hearing about is how do we bring new people in ag? We have less and less people who grew up on farms. How do we get new people in ag? And I think I can think of no better way than the intersection of food, technology, and entrepreneurship. You know, those three things really resonate with people, no matter if they're from an ag background or not. And, and you're Absolutely. right. You're right at yeah. kind of that nexus yeah. there. Yeah, exactly. And, that, and as I was saying, you know, it's great. I can I can speak to my friends about things. You know, just the other day, um, a friend of mine who works in advertising is doing um, an advertising campaign for one of the food delivery stuff. Startups. So I was like, I know them and I know about them. And so um, that that's really great when when you can connect with people in other industries and, and they know what you're talking about. Right. And where are you based out of now? I'm in Brooklyn, New York. So there's a lot of food tech going on over here. Gotcha. What have been some of your favorite stories that you've covered for AgFunder? Yeah, so I was... Um, I'm really intrigued in the role that the consumer is playing in what's happening on the farm. Um, And I did a podcast last year about uh, how women are influencing that too, because women make over half the food choices in the family. I think it's 65% or something like that. Um, And so those are all feeding into trends around organic food or plant-based foods and meatless meat, et cetera, and gluten-free, dairy-free. And so I find that really intriguing. So I did a podcast last year, which, um, which was very well received and was really interesting. And we had um, a couple of ladies, one from uh, a startup called Macaris, which is helping to trade organic, organic grown commodities. And another lady from General Mills, who was, who was on the innovation side. And then we had an investor um, called Sanjeev from S2G Ventures, which is a food and agriculture technology startup. And we were kind of debating, you know, why are the, if women are making so many decisions um, in the home on what their families are eating, why are there so f- few female um, board members in the big food companies. I'm not sure we really came to an answer about it, but we ended up being relatively positive that um, 
that women are making great strides in the industry and it definitely makes sense to have more of their voice. But part of the conversation was, you know, we were connecting General Mills and then with Macarius, who's more focused on the farm side and the commodity side is, is how that consumer demand and changes are really going to impact how farmers plant their acres and what they plant and how they grow it. And I think that's really fascinating. That is interesting. What are some of the underhyped sectors of ag tech. I know we spoke about some of the hot ones, you know, um, plant-based meats, gene editing, et cetera. But what are some of the sectors that you see as up and coming that maybe are not getting a ton of attention yet? Yeah. I mean, if you think about it from the investment side, because maybe not hype side, because there is excitement on hype, but robotics um, have still not raised that much funding startups in that space. And I think I think it's I think it's difficult for investors. It's very expensive, it's very hardware heavy, um, and the technology just isn't quite there yet. But I think, you know, there's a huge potential for robotics to revolutionize farming. And particularly if you think about some of what's going on politically over here in terms of immigration policies, if people are going to struggle to find the labor that they need on the farm, um, having robotics that can help them with that and even um, replace some farm labor or, or, you know, at least definitely help there. Um, it's going to be hugely important. So I think we're going to see investment in robotics um, increase, but I just don't know what the actual time to market and until those become a widespread solution on the farm. I'm not sure how long that will be. It could still be a few years out. Yeah, it's very interesting. And, and I could I could think of applications, everything from your backyard garden, you know, I've seen the farm bot uh, video, yes. that's, you know, the viral yeah. video about the farm bot, but all the way up to, you know, robotics and milking cows and in, in, um, on a on a very large commercial scale. You had talked exactly. about, uh, you know, living in Brooklyn and in, in the food scene there in, in New York City. What are some of the kind of hot ag tech geographic areas. I, I imagine where you're at is probably a hub, but, but where else around the world? Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, um, well, Silicon Valley is is definitely has definitely got a few startups there, although it's much fewer than, than you'd think. We were doing a sort of survey of how many are based in San Francisco. I can't, I'm afraid I can't remember the numbers, but it was not as many as you would think. But then if you move sort of further down south to the Salinas area, there's the Western Growers um, Center for Innovation, and they're housing quite a few startups down there. And that makes sense because you're in the salad bowl of the US, so you've got the startups are there close to some of their potential consumers. Um, another hot area is um, Durham in, in North Carolina um, at the Research Triangle Park where you have um, some of the big agribusinesses have, have bases there. Uh, St. Louis in Missouri um, is another is another center, and you have um, a big showcase there, one of the first ag tech conferences, um, ag innovation showcase, and that is there. Um, I'm now worrying that I'm not going to mention a place. What about, what about outside the U.S.? <laughs> and so outside of the U.S., um, well, Australia is, is, is building up its ag tech ecosystem, and you now have a couple of early stage resources setting up there, like the Sprout X Accelerator. Um, I don't think that necessarily has a particular hub within Australia. I think some of the ideas is that they want to keep it as broad and as na nationwide as possible. Um, and so a lot of the programs for those sort of um, accelerators are, are, are virtual so that people can stay within within the area. And obviously agriculture is, is spread across the whole country there. Um, I've recently connected with people in China, in Shanghai, um, and that's exciting that they're starting to create an ecosystem around it there. Um, in India, there are a couple of a couple of resources and funds that are popping up in India. Um, 
and oh and then in london of course london and england uh there's a few a few different initiatives there and definitely seeing a growing number of startups coming out of there oh and israel sorry <laughs> there's a lot going on in tel aviv and outside tel aviv huge amount in fact that's probably what probably one of the second you know second most active places for investment and innovation um globally or has been historically after the u.s that's really interesting. You, you mentioned Tel Aviv because um, I, it, this is totally a random aside, but I started following a, <clears throat> a tech investor on Snapchat lately, and I noticed he is always in Tel Aviv. So I think it's just a tech, just a, it's become a tech hub. Is that right? Right. Yeah. And there's a huge amount of um, great life sciences research coming out of the uh, universities there, particularly the Volcani Institute, which is just outside Tel Aviv. Um, so yeah, they're, they're, they're very advanced in agricultural research. All right. Well, shout out to our um, people in Israel who listen to this podcast, get, right. getting the exactly. mention. <laughs> exactly. And I mustn't forget South America, Latin America, where they're, um, they're really starting to get organized there in terms of ag tech startups and ecosystems. And there are a couple of funds there as well. And is that primarily in Brazil you're seeing that? or? Um, yeah, Brazil, Argentina, a little bit in Uruguay and um, Mexico. Oh, okay. Yeah. And you mentioned the accelerators. What what problem have they solved for the industry and what, what's kind of been uh, – well, first of all, I guess maybe tell us on a basic level what they do and, and uh, help mm. us understand the, the role they play in ag tech. Right, exactly. So accelerators, they um, take very early stage ideas or often take very early stage ideas and provide them the very – um, succeed funding to get ideas past a proof of concept and to get them into market. And what they, I mean, they really vary. So um, the way we define Accelerator is that it's a fixed, it's a fixed term program. So whether that's three months, six months, or up to a year, where the Accelerator, which is essentially has a fund on the side where they can invest sort of say $100,000 or something into each startup. And then they have a mentor network and they have various seminars and um, events where they bring people together to network, to potentially find investors, and to help them really go through their market strategy and their business model and and all of those kind of nuts and bolts of building a business. But hopefully, because they are dedicated to food and ag tech, they can also provide some very relevant people to connect with and potential customers. And then ultimately, at the end, you often have a pitch event where all the startups, you know, do their pitch, which they promise, which they practice loads um, throughout the program, and then hopefully find investors. And a lot of accelerators will um, judge their success based on the amount of investment that they manage to cultivate for their startups. So, if I have an idea for an ag tech startup, and it's just an idea on a, on the back of a napkin, would that be a good place to start? Is uh, contacting those accelerators? Well, yeah, I mean, that might be a bit too. It might even be too early for them. There, there are some in um, Australia, this this program I talked about called Sproutex had something called a pre-accelerator. And that's where they filtered through, a, yeah, a lot of back on a back of a napkin type ideas. Um, and then uh, then hopefully they would then go on to the full accelerator. So I think it does vary what stage you have, but I think you probably need to have a bit more than just an idea for most of the programs out there. Right. Some sort of proof of concept or at least started a little bit down yeah, the road. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. It would seem to me, you know, one of the it would in in I'm guess I'm asking more than telling, but it would seem that one of the challenges of ag tech, if you're if you're on the farm level, is that you get really limited chances per year to sort of iterate. Um, you really get kind of one chance. Mm-hmm. Um, is that been a challenge to getting traditional venture capitalists involved in ag tech ideas? 
Yeah, that's a very, very interesting point that you've made there. And I think, um, absolutely, I think it's just, it's been a challenge because it's been a challenge for the startups to get traction because as you said, they can iterate um, once a year. So I think it means that the route, the time to market and therefore for the, for the VC investor, the time to exit is um, is much longer than um, a typical, you know, technology app or something that's for, for consumers where they're iterating all the time. Um, so yeah, it's interesting to see how that plays out and how that actually impacts returns and the the timeline for an investment in the space. Have you seen, I'm just curious, uh, have you seen any sort of partnership between a farmer and an ag tech? Maybe the farmer would get some equity for uh, helping to sort of roll out the product because it's a bit of a risk for a farmer to try a new technology. Have you seen anything like that? Yeah, I, see, I mean, I think there's been a bit of, um, uh, I don't know what the right word is, weariness on the part of some farmers. I think some of them have been engaging in trials with startups. I'm not sure of what the actual arrangements are, but I don't think that it's been in return for equity. I think it's been in return for using their product for free. And I think that that's actually been very time consuming for farmers to be trialing all these different startups. And as you said, you know, giving up some of their land to it. Um, and so I, I'm not sure, I haven't done a survey um, but I'd be, I'd, I'd be interested to know because I get a suspicion that some of them might be getting fed up of, of, of doing too many trials. But on the flip side, you have heard of farmers investing in ag tech startups. Um, I, I don't think it's necessary in exchange for doing trials. I'm sure they're helpful on that front. But you have seen a few of them, um, yeah, working with the startups from the early stages to provide them that funding and hoping that they're going to be solving specific solutions for them. Lisa, specific what? problems for them. Well, I'm sorry, I missed that last part. Sorry, I meant to say solving specific problems for them, not solutions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Where do you think we sit right now in the in sort of the cycle of enthusiasm surrounding ag tech? Um, I think we had a lot of excitement in 2015, as we saw in the numbers. And it feels like there was a pullback in 2016 because the um, funding volumes fell 30% from 4.6 billion to 3.2 billion. However, the number of deals that closed during the year rose 10%. So I think the level of enthusiasm around entrepreneurs is probably at an all-time high because you've clearly got more entrepreneurs coming into the space than ever before. And on the same side, you know, different investors as well. So I think there's definitely been, you know, a few investors have had a stop and think about some technologies and how impactful they are. I think you've seen that in drones particularly, which was super hyped up and exciting in 2014 and 2015. But then when it came to the practicality of farmers needing to launch those every day, they've got bad battery power life and, um, you know, then you've got to process that that imagery. I don't think they've ne it's necessarily been as um, <clears throat> revolutionary as was expected. That's not to say that drones aren't going to have a massive role in agriculture, because I think they will. But I think they the way they use today um, is not necessarily as as exciting um, and as efficient for farmers as they thought. So you're going to have different particular areas of ag tech like that, which are going to ebb and flow in terms of enthusiasm. And I think that's all comes down to what, where that technology is in terms of development. Um, and once you make, you know, the next gain in, in discovery for that technology, then you get another wave of enthusiasm and, and then, you know, it keeps going like that. On the ag funder platform, you all connect, investment money to entrepreneurs that are starting companies or, or ha are trying to grow companies in agriculture and ag tech. 
What have you noticed has been a pattern among successful money raisers on, on the company side? Meaning, what what do they have in common um, to successfully raise funds on AgFunder? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. Uh, two of our most successful raises have been um, both been startups that have been looking at climate change adaptation or mitigation, but in their own way. And they're very they're two very different technologies, uh, and both of them are US-based but received investment from an Australian investor. That's <laughs> that's just, I think, by the by. But um, Swim is the first one, and that's a water management software platform. And what they're doing is they're, being, they're helping farmers to track exactly how much water they're using, um, particularly in the context of their water rights. And then they're helping them, they're giving them recommendations on how they can use less of that water. And then they're helping them to measure exactly what they've used so that then they can sell back that water back into the grid and potentially have another revenue stream. So not only are they saving water, but they're also potentially making some money at the same time as well. Um, so that's great. And then on the flip side, on the other side, you've got another company called Adaptive Symbiotic Technologies, which is using microbiome research to create um, a, a, so a soil and crop input, which helps crops to um, cope in drought conditions. Um, so again, you're, you're it's water efficiency there, hopefully. Um, so I think, you know, technologies that are really trying to be groundbreaking and help farmers cope with the conditions they're farming under today um, are, you know, are always going to do well. That brings up a question in my mind, and you don't have to answer if you don't want to, but I'm curious, who, who, who do you see as the next unicorn in agriculture? <laughs> the million dollar question. Um I don't know, but it might be some time before we have a unicorn, particularly because the general global venture capital markets have pulled back quite a lot. There was a record number of unicorns in 2015. So last year, you saw investors being very wary about how they're valuing companies and really focusing on the business fundamentals. I think with ag tech, you know, adoption is, is, is a challenge. And where farm incomes are in the US, um, you know, it's, it's tricky for farmers to invest their money in new um, technologies that they're not 100% sure of the value add. I think startups need to really focus, and they and they are doing, but they really need to focus on showing farmers exactly how, by buying this technology, it's going to improve their bottom line and essentially give them more money in their pockets. Luis, I know you you recently did a podcast kind of looking back to 2016 and ahead to 2017. As, as you look back to 2016, what surprises you that you wouldn't have predicted uh, when the year started? I think... It surprised me that there was a growing number of deals. I think we expected there was going to be a pullback in investment, and there was. It fell 30% in dollar terms from 2015, which was just a, a blockbuster year. So I think I expected to see particularly more of a pullback in the food e-commerce, food delivery space. There have been a lot of failures there. Logistics is a real challenge, and working out the unit economics is a, is a challenge. But it, it didn't, I mean, it, it did fall a bit, but it didn't pull back as much as we expected. Um, and I think that's a function of the fact that consumers want to have options to, to buy online. And until those options are... Um, all available to suit all of their needs. And until all of the retailers are engaging in online business, you know, th there's going to be huge opportunity for startups there. I think Rabobank said this, this, that, that segment alone, online food delivery was worth 600 billion or something. Um, 
crazy like that. So I think that was a, that was a surprise for us. But yeah, looking back at the number of deals and the number of early stage seed stage deals, you know, I was very pleasantly surprised to see that it increased, which meant that there's just more entrepreneurs and investors engaging in the sector and coming into it. So um, I think that's very promising. That is very promising, especially considering where, where farm incomes have been, uh, to, that there's still so much interest in the space. Well, right. Louisa, I cannot thank you enough for this. This is so interesting to me. I, I'm such an ag funder uh, groupie. And, oh, and for those of you listening, if you're not getting Louisa's emails on a regular basis, you are missing out on the exciting things going on in, in agriculture. So highly recommend you go to agfunder.com to check that out. And, and Louisa, how else could somebody find you online? Oh, and also go to Ag agfundernews.com. Um, that's the news service. And you can look um, on social media as well at agfunder. Excellent. Thank you so much again. That's great. Thanks so much. Very grateful for Louisa Burwood-Taylor for taking time for us. Finally, we was able to get her on the podcast. Hopefully that got some of your wheels turning, some ideas about how you can participate in the future of ag tech, because it's a hot area in our industry, especially right now. Well, today, this episode is coming out March 1st, 2017, is the deadline to be the ultimate ag intern for AgGrad. This is the program where we're sending one or two interns this summer out on a road trip to visit participating agribusinesses. They're going to record a weekly video blog or a vlog and post that so that people can understand what opportunities from a career perspective exist in agriculture. Even though today's the deadline to participate as an intern, I wanted to mention it because if you work for or manage an agribusiness that wants to tell your story via video, I can't think of a better opportunity and we still have room. So get a hold of me, Tim at aggrad.com, or you can always communicate on Twitter at Tim Hamrich. Would love to hear from you and love to get some more agribusinesses involved in this special program. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to the Future of Agriculture podcast with Tim Hamrich. Visit aggrad.com, that's A-G-G-R-A-D.com today to get connected into careers in the agriculture industry. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.